Hey, Pioneers, welcome to episode number 377. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about homesteading on imperfect land when you are in imperfect circumstances. And the reason that this is such an important thing to talk about is too often, whenever we're looking at trying something new, now in this instance, we're obviously going to be talking about homesteading, but it's really true any aspect of homesteading or when you're taking on something new, we tend to procrastinate by saying, oh, the timing's not right. Now, yes, there's exceptions to every rule, and sometimes the timing truly isn't right for a new thing. But too often, we stop ourselves from starting something by saying, oh, well, you know, I'm still commuting so many miles to a day job, so I really can't homestead because I'm still working full-time. Well, my friends, that is a fallacy and a lie that you are telling yourself. You may not be able to homestead at the capacity or at the level that someone who is home 24-7 can do or is home full-time. However, you absolutely can begin homesteading even if you are commuting, even if you're not in perfect circumstances. There are things that you can do, so don't let that be an excuse. So I really loved today's topic, which this is one of our live coaching calls. So if you've been hanging out with me on the podcast for a couple of years, if you're a, you guys are going to laugh at me. My kids are probably moaning if they were to ever hear this right now. If you're OG, see, throwing down that lingo. If you're an old timer, okay, we'll come back to, to, to homesteading lingo. If you're an old timer, of the podcast, then you are familiar because we do these live coaching calls once a year as we gear up for our big opening to the Pioneering Today Academy, which is the membership. And I really enjoy getting to do these. I love getting to talk to members who are often listeners of the podcast just like you and really getting to dive into their specific situations and problems. But the great thing is, is many of you are also experiencing these exact same problems and issues. And if not, maybe growing on sloped or timbered property or trying to figure out how to grow food when you have a ton of shade. But there's going to be aspects from this episode you're going to be able to apply as well. And the other coin, other part of that is in this episode was doing it while you're working and knowing where to start. I think a lot of us have things we want to do and we just are like, I don't know where to begin. So if that is you, if you've ever felt like that, you are going to love today's episode. Of course, we are going to be dropping a lot of links because a lot of the things I talk about, you can go in further detail either in a video or another podcast episode where we really dive heavily into that subject. And sometimes it's a written blog post that I've got. So to access all the goodies in the show notes today, you're going to want to go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 377, just the number 377. This is episode number 377. Now, before we dive straight into our live coaching, I want to thank our sponsor for today's podcast episode. You know, it's really the sponsors who make it possible to continue putting out the podcast and all of the resources that go around it. So huge thank you. I am really, really picky about who I pick as a sponsor because it truly has to be a company that I uh, respect 
use their products and firmly believe in. So there's a lot that actually get turned down. But today's sponsor is American Blossom Linens. And you've heard me talk about them before. They have been a sponsor of the podcast. And I really just fall in love with their product more and more every time I go to sleep at night. (laughs) They have, if you've never heard of them before, if you've not heard of American Blossom Linens, they are 100% cotton, so there's no polyester involved, made in the United States. And I had trouble sleeping last night, actually. I woke up in the middle of the night. Does that happen to anybody else? Like you make up in the middle of the night and you know you need to sleep. Like you're so tired and you know you've got a huge day ahead of you, just always things to do on the to-do list and you can't go back to sleep. Well, that happened to me last night. And so I used to get really frustrated when that would happen and like scrunch my eyes closed really tight and like try to do all these things to get myself to go back to sleep. And now when when that happens, honestly, I just take that time to pray. So I will just pray about anything that comes to mind. And then when I'm done praying, if I'm still awake, then I'll just kind of go through my mental task list of what I'm going to be doing for that day. And sometimes I just get up and do it, depending on if it's, you know, like an hour within of when I would normally wake up, as long as it's not like the middle, middle of the night. And I was thinking about, because I was all cozy snuggled up in my American Blossom linen sheets, but I was thinking about when we buy things from a local company, we are definitely supporting local workers, fellow Americans, but it's actually so much more than that because you are supporting the workers directly, yes, or whoever is making the product, and in this case, American Blossom Linens, they are making their 100% cotton sheets in the U.S., and they are sourcing their cotton from the U.S. as well. So this is cotton that is grown in the United States, and so they, not only with the purchase are we supporting the place where the sheets are made, right, the workers that are making them, uh, the people who are packaging the sheets, Um, where the packaging for the sheets come from, right? That's another aspect that we're supporting. We are supporting the mail carrier or the UPS workers who are relatively local, at least my UPS person is, like they live by me. And then we're supporting the farmers. So the supplier of the cotton seed, the actual farmer who owns the land, who is planting it, who is harvesting it. It's like, it's this ripple effect. And we don't even realize, because we just think about when we're purchasing this product, the American Blossom Linens, like we know we're supporting the sheet company, but it really has this ripple and it affects and supports so many more people within, if not our direct community, right? But at least other people in the United States and is actually reaching across you know, state lines because you've got the American Blossom Linens Company and where they're making the sheets, but then you've got all the different cotton farms throughout the different states. And I, you know, maybe it was in the middle of the night and I was really tired and perhaps I'm still tired, but it just felt like this, like this beautiful epiphany. <laughs> like it's so amazing when we get to support and touch all of these different lives in a good way. And it, we don't even even get to meet the people, you know, we're not getting to meet the farmers and that are, are growing the cotton and, and a lot of their cotton farms that they buy from are in Texas. But We can support all of these people by choosing to purchase it in the United States and not having products shipped way overseas and 
you know, using up a ton of resources in order to get it here from halfway across the country. And anyways, I was just really excited about that. So I was thrilled that today was the day on the podcast that American Blossom Linens was our sponsor and is our sponsor. And you can use coupon code PIONEERINGTODAY22 to get an additional 22% off of your purchase. So of course, I love their sheets. They are the softest, best quality sheets I have ever had. But they also have heritage heirloom quality blankets and towels. So go and check them out and use coupon code PIONEERINGTODAY22 for 22% off. And now we're gonna dive straight into my live coaching call with PTA member, Brianna Joe. Well, Brianna Joe, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thank you. Yeah, so we have got some great questions to go over today, but if you could just kind of do just like a little bit of an introduction so people kind of know where you're at with your homestead, um, and and then we can lead right into what you're really needing help with the most. Okay, so the property I'm on right now um, is my grandparents' property. I moved in to help them. My grandfather had a series of health complica- complications, and my grandmother couldn't take care of him and the acre and a third, and I needed a cheaper place to live. So I moved in in to help him with the property and she could focus on him. And I stumbled across the sale on green bean seeds. And then there were some pots that were also on sale right next to them. And I'm just like, oh, that looks like fun. And our family loves green beans. And that was like three, four years ago. That would have been like 2018. Yeah, so like 2018. And then I just been trying to grow the garden ever since. Awesome. Well, we love green beans too. We are a huge green bean loving family here. So I totally feel you on that. And I love that that was kind of your uh, gateway into growing food and homesteading. Feels very, very good. And and that you are on the property and helping with your grandparents. That is so lovely. I know um, my own father is starting to have some different uh, health issues. And so family members being able to step in and help different times is just a really a lovely thing. And I think something at least in modern American society as a whole, we don't see that as much of as I think we used to and, and maybe other cultures prioritize. So anyways, I just wanted to say thank you yes. so much for, for stepping in there and just kind of acknowledging that. Um, and so on your grandparents' property, so you have an acre and a third, and then are you there full time? I think I saw that you were commuting. So kind of what what is the time you have available for being, at, you know, actually on doing homesteading tasks, I should say? Um, I do have a day job. So I live in Camas, Washington, but my day job is in Portland, Oregon. And I don't know how many people know that on a map, but it's roughly a 30 mile commute for me. Okay. And I work uh, Mondays through Thursdays, but I clock in at like 6.30 in the morning and then clock out at 5. So those Monday through Thursday, you're, the mornings are out of the question. And yeah, those are long days. Uh, it's funny. I had almost the exact, well, not as far as location, but the same commute so, and very similar schedule. So I can definitely feel you there. So what are, what's your the thing that you're needing the most help with right now. So we can make sure that we get that attacked first. And then if we have time, we'll, we'll jump in to some other areas too. 
I think my biggest problem is like I want to do all the things so it's like what is the most important thing to start with I'm giggling because you're a girl after my own heart. I, I have very much had, and at certain times still, still struggle with this because yes, we want all the things we shouldn't have to compromise. <laughs> um, yeah. And so like, uh, this is just like a list of the current projects that are going on. They're not in order of priority, but organize the garage, like the recent project we had, I needed new blades for my hacksaw. And I know the last time I bought blades, I bought a big giant 10 pack. Now we can't find it because the garage ate it. So it's like, I really need to organize the garage so I can find those blades. So I don't have to keep going to buy new blades. <laughs> oh yes. Um, I need a much better fence on the garden because the deer were just kind of mocking me this last summer and ate my entire crop. Oh, yes, yeah. those deer. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love to have a root cellar because we don't really have a great place for storing food long term. Um, and I kind of marked a spot out. I also make all of my own clothes, like including my like undergarments, like wow. corset stuff like that. Um, and then the flooring in this house is a carpet that is nearly 30 years old and we already do have the floor to replace it. So that's been like a very slow room by room, ripping out the 30 year old rug and putting in the nice new hardwood. Yeah. But just like, hmm, order of priority, which one is actually more important? Yeah. And it really is, at least you're on the right track, honestly, on, on when it's like you're overwhelmed and I'm trying to do all the things and really prioritizing is the first key. And of course, then that's, that's a whole nother set because we actually have to figure out how do I help prioritize, but at least you're already on, like you're on the right track in that and knowing that you do need to prioritize. So kind of the way that I break down or look at when I'm trying to prioritize my own things is by really one, the season, and then what's really most important to us. And so for example, you don't have anything growing in the garden right now, I'm assuming, this time no. of year. Yeah. So the no. garden is kind of in a in a dormant phase right now. However, we do know that by this spring, you'll likely be wanting to plant out there. And of course, then the deer will be coming in. So right now, I wouldn't put getting the garden fenced, you know, repaired or putting some some new fencing in. Um, that's more effective at keeping the deer out. That wouldn't be my top priority now, but I would definitely put in a plan so that once it comes, you're not like, oh man, here it is summer again already. And I didn't get any of this fencing in and I'm losing all of my crop, which really is, is wasted time. It's wasted money. It's wasted resources, you know, putting in all of those plants and then not getting to harvest any of them. So I would make a plan on deciding what type of fencing you're going to do, making sure you get it, you know, where I'm going to, if I'm going to order it, where, where and when am I going to order it? So it's here in time, you know, kind of like a supply list and getting a plan in action. So I would, I would prioritize that for your upcoming months um, so that you've got that kind of reverse engineer. I want this fencing done by this point. And then going back through the month so that you've got the steps needed to make sure it doesn't slip through the cracks 
by the time summer hits. But the actual physical work of actually going out there and repairing the fence, of course, that's not top priority for the next, you know, say two months or that type of thing. So then when you were talking, when we were going back, so root cellaring. So I, I don't have a root cellar yet either, though a root cellar and using some of those techniques we do without it. But with the root cellar, specifically, which types of food are you? do you have now that you don't have storage space for? Or what crops are you like, okay, we really want to make sure that we've got this crop specifically enough for a year that we're going to be storing it through the winter? Do you, already, do you have that kind of outlined or you're like, gosh, a root cellar just sounds like it would be really great for our food storage? Um, well, I have tried to like store a couple months supply of like potatoes or onions and things like that. And they always either go bad or they start sprouting and stuff. And I've tried a few different techniques in the house. I think we just leave the house way too warm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my grandparents like it at the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I can't really keep potatoes and onions and those those types of crops in the house for, for very long. And so I do end up canning them up so that they will survive and we can have a supply. Yeah. But, are, you, are you growing the potatoes and the onions or are you purchasing those and then just in a bulk amount? Yeah, I'm just purchasing them in a bulk amount for now. I'm hoping okay. eventually I could have a year supply. <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah, the reason I was asking is because I know your climate is similar enough to mine that if you're growing the potatoes, those you could leave in the ground over winter and just put a really good uh, layer of straw mulch on top and they would keep in the ground. Potatoes, you do truly need in most cases an actual root cellar. It's not just the heat, it's actual, well, light of course, and then humidity, because uh, a lot oftentimes they will shrivel after about a few months of storage, sometimes even like four weeks worth of storage. And so the root cellar, because it's down in the ground and you have a, the gravel or earthen floor, preferably in a true root cellar, that helps keep the humidity level where it needs to be, as well as the cool temperature and darkness to to store the potatoes, which is why I leave mine in the ground at the moment. Um, and I know that your your winter is uh, very similar to ours. And so it, it's conducive in order to do that. But if you're not growing them, I've never tested putting them in the ground when it's potatoes I've bought, you know, from the store or from another farmer, uh, just because I don't know how they're cured and at what age they are and, and all of that. So the root cellar definitely would, would be a helpful answer for storing the potatoes. Uh, now the onions are those items you're growing. Are you purchasing from a farmer or just from the grocery store or where, where what is the source for the onions? Uh, from a farmer, um, a local farmer. I actually have to pass them to get in and out of town. Okay. And do you know what variety they are? Are they an actual storage onion variety? Um, they just have a label as like sweet white and red. Okay. So sweet onions will not store so if you're trying to store the sweet onions, they have a very short storage span. Uh, they're not meant to be long-term storage. And a lot most of your reds don't store as long either. So part of it could be variety because onions, you don't need a root cellar for. In fact, they do really well. But it, the reason I'm going is one that it is definitely variety dependent. So if people are trying to store like the red onions or the sweet onions, they often get frustrated because they won't they won't store more than about four, eight weeks max, usually in most cases. 
Um, so I would ask the farmer what their, um, if they have the yellow onions, kind of what varieties they are and focus more on those. But then also when they're coming to harvest them is if you can get them when they're pulling them up and they've, they've got all of the stems still on them. Because if you're going to be storing them at room temperature, you really, they need to be cured so that they will store. And ideally with the stems still on them on the top um, can help because if they get clipped too close, then it can allow like oxygen to get in through the layers. And of course that can break it down faster. So when I'm, whenever I'm doing my long-term storage of the onions, I will do them make sure they're cured. And then I do them in braids. And after they're fully dried and cured, sometimes people will snip the tops off on those long-term storage onions and, and have success too. I just tend to braid mine because I don't have enough uh, containers to put them in. And so if I braid them, I can just hang them up on the on the walls in our pantry and stuff. Uh, but, the, but onions don't need nearly the as much humidity as potatoes and they don't need to be kept as cool either. So you can keep onions, you know, in the, the 55 is ideal for long-term storage, but I have quite a few of mine that I just keep in our actual kitchen. And then I have a back pantry that doesn't have as much, it doesn't have any direct light, but it's, you know, a darker area, but still it ranges anywhere from like 65 to 75 degrees and they do really fine there. So I think it might be more variety dependent on the onions. And then the question on whether or not if they were actually cured um, all the way so that they will store for months on end. So the reason I was kind of walking through this is because the time and work and money that it would cost to build a root cellar, if it's only for potatoes, I don't know that that would actually be worth it at this point, um, especially if you are able to can the potatoes um, or find, you know, doing something like, I know where um, people will take like a metal garbage can and actually dig down just a hole. So instead of building an entire actual root cellar, like, you know, like a room type thing, they'll just make small root cellars in the ground for smaller amounts of crops. And so that might be something for the potatoes if you don't want to continue to just, you know, if you want some that are not canned, if you're like, I just want to have some potatoes, <laughs> like do baked potatoes, do that type of thing yeah, um, or different things like that, other than just, you know, cubed up and, and putting them in, into stuff. So that would be something, um, that would probably be a lot more feasible and it wouldn't take nearly as much time or money if it was just for the potatoes. And then priority wise, you know, potato harvest usually isn't going to be until next summer. So kind of, again, like it'd be like, okay, I want to make sure I've, I've researched uh, how to do, basically it's, it's called, um, it's more of a clamp style of a root cellar than where you're, you know, digging out a whole room, et cetera. So that would give you time to research that, decide how you wanted to go about that. Um, but it, it wouldn't be something that you'd be implementing until this summer, at least very least spring when the weather is more conducive to digging, the, that type of thing. So that would kind of help you on that priority. And again, kind of reverse engineer, like, okay, I know that I'm going to need this for these potatoes by let's say August. So I'm going to backtrack and so that I've got all the pieces in place um, so that I can make sure that this is ready to go in and done by the time I need it. Um, and then that would free up for the immediate, you know, some, a lot of the time for some of the other projects. So again, now then that we're kind of looking at, okay, flooring versus garage. So with the garage not being cleaned up, you are spending 
time trying to find things and then money because you can't find what you know is there. So you're rebuying things and also wasting time trying to find it first and then getting to the point, I can't find it. I got to move forward with this project. I'm just going to go buy it again. Whereas the floor would be great to have done because it you know, allows you to put the room all the way back. There's something about seeing a completed project, you know, all of that. Um, we also were having a problem with the carpet. Our cats keep on getting reinfected with fleas no matter what we have done. And I've tried everything up to, but not including uh, flea bombing the house. And I'm just not into the whole idea of flea bombing the house. Same. So my grandmother oh. really jumped on the idea of like, let's get, rip up the rug and get rid of it so we can get rid of these stupid fleas. Okay. So that makes it your number one priority right there. Now we know. <laughs> For me, that would be, okay, I can't handle this. I don't want it. Yeah. Fleas, health issues, just, you know, the itching part if you're getting bit by them. So that would be where I would do that. And then once that's done, then I would move to organizing the the garage um, and even maybe breaking that down into to sections, obviously, on, on the garage. Like, okay, I've got you know, this part of the weekend, we're going to attack, you know, this shelving area or this square foot area here, you know, this day. Um, and then, you know, kind of move it on down because it may take organizing a whole garage. And usually that can't be done in a day, but that way, if you've got at least a plan laid out on this section, then this section, then you kind of can see how long it's going to take you. And if you're able to do more in a day, great. Like you get further along, but that way you don't, just look at it and be like, oh gosh, I can't get all this done today. At least maybe that's my personality. Oftentimes <laughs> I'll look at something and be like, there's no way I can do this all today. So I'm not going to do any of it. And then of course it just never gets done because most of us never can find, you know, a, a big chunk of time all at once or even a whole weekend sometimes to tackle a full project. So just kind of breaking it down into bite-sized chunks. But if you have a flea problem, and getting all that carpet out and the floor replaced will help with it. That would become my number one priority. Okay. Yeah, right now the garage is like, I walk in there, and you know, like on the cartoons when the character gets overwhelmed and their eyes just start spinning in their head. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's where that's where I would definitely <laughs> pick, you know, pick an area or or pick one thing. And I, and there's some great episodes. So for those who are listening in, we'll make sure that we link in the show notes in today's blog post that accompanies this episode. But there's a decluttering by month uh, episode that I did last year. And there's a few other decluttering ones that I think would be really helpful. So I'll make sure to get you those if you haven't went through them either, um, so that it there's a plan in place and it's easy yeah. to implement once you have a plan. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that gives you a clear plan on kind of prioritizing some of those things. Do you have any other uh, homestead issues that you would like help with? Cause I think, we, yeah, we've got a little bit more time if you've got some other questions. Um, okay. So for the fence, I do actually have all the supplies. Um, so do you think like a good time to start working on it would be, uh, when I go and start my seed starting to just jump out there and then also start on the fence too, because the seeds won't be ready for planting for a while. Yeah, that would be good because that, then, you know, this is your starting point. And it also, it's kind of like, okay, I've started my seeds and I don't want to put all this time and money in to plant them out in, you know, eight, 12 weeks, depending on, on what it is. Mm -hmm. um, so it gives you like a natural countdown timer that, that puts a little bit of, pressure on like, okay, 
I really want to make sure that these grow. So I'm going to make sure that I get the fence done in time. I think that would be a really good time to begin the actual working on the fence. Okay, cool. Um, so, so I do have a spot that might work for growing some meat birds, probably not going to do it this year, but the area is our last flat spot and it's where our drain field for our septic is. Do okay. you think that's a safe place to grow some meat birds? Well, I'm assuming it, your drain field is, is underground, right? It's not yes. an open. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just double checking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. double checking there. <laughs> yeah. I, I do because, well, one, it, it's a drain field, but it's covered, you know, it's covered by dirt. It's not like they're actually in the waste from the septic system. Yeah. Um, knowing my grandfather, he overbuilt it because that's what he does. He overbuilds everything. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we have, I have our chicken tractors over top of where our septic drain field is out in the um, oh. In our backyard all the time. So yeah, I think it's fine because it's not like your well is drawing water from that where you would be maybe potentially worried, you know, of the chicken poop, you know, anything. I don't worry about that either. Our well is out in the middle of our our cow pasture. And I'm like, well, I know how many feet down it is. There's a ton of soil between there and here. I'm not, we've never had any issue whatsoever, but I know, you know, sometimes people would, would be concerned about having an animal pin right near their water source, uh, et cetera, depending on how many feet down your well is your water yeah. source, all of that. Yeah. But I would have yeah, no, no qualm whatsoever <laughs> putting your meat birds on top of that ground and that underneath. And plus your meat birds don't weigh a lot. So, I mean, there is a concern, like I wouldn't build, um, you know, a really heavy structure over that drain field because one, if you ever do need to get into, you know, into it to repair, and you don't want to have it, you know, a ton of heavy weight on it. But we have chicken tractors, and we even drive over ours like with our tractor and four wheeler. And I'm not super worried about it. But there is just for somebody listening, depending on, it doesn't mean it's necessarily fair game for everything. But for something as small as meat birds and the weight of like a chicken tractor and just a run, I would have no qualms. Okay, yeah, I'm not worried about the well. Um, our property, the bottom part is at fifteen hundred feet, and the top side is at two thousand feet. And that's where the well is. Is at the two thousand feet. The mer- birds would be at the fifteen hundred. So, oh yeah, I wouldn't worry about it either. Yeah, yeah. you're good. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a good slope. You've got some slope happening. Here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I am uh, terracing everything. <laughs> I could definitely see why you would need to do that. <laughs> um. So I was watching the uh, Tudor farmer thing, and they were talking about like the old breed of pigs that are more like foresty, woody stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have like a lot of woody outcroppings. I was wondering, do you think it would be a good idea if I like fence that air off and then I can like throw some pigs in there just for raising meat? I'm probably not ready for breeding anytime soon. But do you think pigs would do fine in that? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Um, and we have raised we raised American guinea hogs, which is a, a more heritage um, foraging breed versus versus more like Hereford are still heritage as far as pigs go, but they're not, they're not considered uh, along the lines or the same type. Like American guinea hog is more a lard pig, um, but they are more of a forger. They will still root. Uh, There's kind of, sometimes there could be a little bit of a misconception that uh, like American guinea hog um, and some of those really older breeds like that, that they don't root, that they really are just pasture grazers. 
but they will still root, but they tend to first graze on pasture and eat some of the brush back and forage more than some of the the more hybrid or other breeds where where they don't. But however, where I'm trying to go with this very long-windedly is they do still root. <laughs> so I I don't want to have a um like a sometimes I think people think they won't root at all, that they'll act more like a, a goat. And that's not really true. They just don't tend to root up as fast um, as some of the other breeds. So that being said, they will still do some rooting up, but if it's an area where you've got brush that you actually want them to help clear, yes, then it's a beautiful match and it's perfect. Um, however, we personally, and I've got two two whole episodes actually on the American guinea hogs, the whole process, the pros and cons of them. I think they can be good in certain areas as long as you go into them with eyes wide open on what you're going to get as far as yield and harvest on the meat. We personally won't raise the American guinea hogs again, I don't think, unless I really just want a large amount of bacon and lard. But as far as actual meat yield, um, we're going back to the Herefords. And I am going to investigate. I just don't have a breeder near us for this year, um, looking at possibly the Idaho pasture pigs. Um they they intrigue me, but with the American guinea hogs specifically, and one of the things for the breeds to take into consideration that are more of the forage and the, and the raising in the forest is, now I don't know about where you are, but I'm going to assume based upon your location that your forest is very similar to ours. And we don't have a lot of natural nut trees. So a lot of yeah. like the American guinea hogs, which are more kind of on the Eastern and Southern areas, one, their winters are a lot warmer. They have a lot more vegetation growth throughout the whole year compared to us. And they also have a lot of nuts in their forest so that they're out there eating, not just brush, but they're actually able to eat a lot of the nuts that are in their forests more naturally than they are here. So here we don't really have, at least in our forest, we don't have nut trees that are just, that are growing. Um, and most of our, even our brush, especially green leafy type brush, like really by the end of September, maybe October, we've hit winter and it won't really begin to grow again until May here. So you've got a long span where there's, there's just brush, but there's not a lot of even green leafy growth coming on that brush and those trees for them to eat. Um, so just being aware of that. So we have to still still have to feed the American guinea hogs all the way through the winter months. And of course, they eat more going through the winter months. Um, but they did clear and putting pigs, pigs do need shade 100%. So they will grow fine in forested areas, but you don't have as much grass growing and we don't have as much um, natural food in our forests because of like the nuts that I was saying. So you will still have to feed them, mm -hmm. um, which I, it's probably not a surprise, but I think sometimes um, people have heard little snippets here and there and think like, oh, you don't have to feed them. Like they'll just eat, they'll just forage in the woods and you won't have a food cost. And that's not really true either. <laughs> um, at least in my experience, that's not been true here in our climate at all. Uh, we still definitely had to supplement and to feed them, but yes, they can be in that area and that can't, could work really well as a way to get your brush cleared out and also provide meat for your family. Yeah. That's kind of what I was looking towards. Cause, um, one of the last fires, it was like three miles from our house. Um, yeah, those were scary. 
Yeah, so I was looking at it as brush clearing to make the um, area a little less flammable. And mm -hmm. then also, I don't have like a lot of nice open areas and those nice open areas I want to come in. So it's like, okay, can I just toss them into the forested area and they'll still thrive, even if I do have to feed a bit. Yeah, you still have to, yeah, you definitely will still have to to feed, but yeah, they they will do fine. Um, you know, the only the only thing is when it's really cold, and this depends on the breed you get and how long it takes them to reach maturable size. So if you, you know, like a Hereford pig, we get ours in the early spring, and then they're at complete harvestable size by October. So we're not really raising them through the winter. Now, American guinea hogs and some of those um, older uh, heritage breeds don't reach like Cooney Cooney. They they don't reach butcher size that fast. So you usually have to take them over a, a full winter and then butcher that next summer or fall in order to get them to full harvest size for kind of to be worth your while, honestly. And so in, in that instance, you're going to have to make sure that you've got a place for them to go in where they can get dry. You know, they can keep warm because they don't have super, you know, they don't have a heavy winter coat in order to keep themselves warm like a lot of other livestock animals do. So that would just be something uh, cognizant of the breed that you pick if you do have to overwinter them. Um, you know, and it can be something really simple, like for just a couple of pigs, we just took uh, some pallets and just made like a um, four sided with just a little door opening that they could get into to completely block all the wind. And then we just filled it with straw, like five, six inches thick of straw so that they could actually go in there and then burrow underneath the straw to keep themselves warm. So it doesn't have to be like a barn or a huge construction or anything like that. But if you have them through the winter, you really do want to make sure you've got something where they can go in and, and get warm. Yeah. Well, um, this has been fun. You've got a, <laughs> a lot of, I love it. You're, you're, you've got a lot of ambition and a lot of projects um, putting in place for your homestead for next year. So it'll be really fun to see how those go. And we have a, just a few minutes left. So is there any one last question that you'd love some help with? Um, so because I do have a lot of dappled shade, I was wondering, do you think like the brassicas, uh, like especially cauliflower and Brussels sprouts would be able to survive the summer in the dappled shade? Yeah, they should do pretty good in the dappled shade in summer because uh, it definitely keeps, obviously it keeps them a cooler temp. And Brussels sprouts, I don't usually worry in our summers. I grow mine throughout the entire summer um, and I've never had issues with them bolting. But in the summer, because that's obviously where you know, close, so Northern that we have more daylight hours, especially mm -hmm. if it's dappled, that I think they'd be fine during the summer. You may find them a lot slower if you try to do them in the fall and spring, if it's in full shade, but in full summer, they, sh you should do well with the brassicas, especially if it's true where they're not getting direct sunlight or significant hours of direct sunlight. They may even in summer, you know, it might take um, a couple extra weeks to reach maturity but they should still grow there just fine. Um, kind of any of the cool weather crops, honestly, in in dappled areas or more shady areas in full summer, that they usually will grow and, and kind of thrive there where a lot of the other ones just kind of tend to stay a little bit spindly or don't want to produce the actual harvest, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. Was just trying to save my full sunspot for like the tomatoes and peppers. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like spinach, uh, lettuce, even 
um, like you said, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, um, any of any of those types of things um, should do just fine in that dappled area. Like I said, it just sometimes it takes them a couple extra weeks um, in comparison to being in full sun. But the other beautiful thing is then they usually don't bolt on you in the middle of summer when if they were planted in those other areas, then you run into that danger. Yeah, especially since now we're getting 100 degree weather in summers. Oh, bless Bless the weather's hard. I sound so Southern. Yes. We have definitely the past, <laughs> the past two summers have been here in our area of the Pacific Northwest have been extremely abnormal um, and a bit more challenging than usual. Yes. And wonderful time to start growing food. <laughs> hey, the good news is though, when we do have a, I'm doing air quotes, normal year, you're going to be a pro. <laughs> You're like, oh, I can, I grew through the other stuff. Like this year is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah trial by fire. Yeah. 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 Almost well, early this last summer. Yes. Yeah. This past, this past summer and the, and the one before it, we had um, the most ex- extremes as far as heat and, and drought um, here that I've ever grown through myself. Yeah, I grew up in this area too. And it's just like, I don't remember this at all. I, I You know, and I've asked my, my husband, I've had this discussion. It's funny too, because he, he grew up here as well. And I actually have lived on the exact same road. So as far as being in the exact same location, I'm, and I'm, I'll be 42 in January. Um, I'm like, as a kid, did I not pay attention? You know, like it just wasn't as it's not something you were paying attention to. Like we garden, but I wasn't responsible. You know, I was a kid, wasn't responsible for that. I don't think so though. I, I think we definitely are seeing a switch because even my folks who have been here, you know, my dad has been here, he's 80 in his upper eighties and he doesn't recall the weathers. Like we had a few hot summers here and there that were kind of, you know, atypical, but nothing like the past two. Yeah, my grandparents actually came from North Dakota, so they're not like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very. Uh, but, you know, I think every kind of everyone I've talked to from various locations around the U.S. and, and even in Canada, that it does seem that things are shifting and what was their normal has not really been normal the past five years. There's definitely extremes one way or the other, it seems. Yeah. 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 Well, Brianna Joe, thank, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for your advice. Yeah, you're welcome. I'll be excited <laughs> to see what progresses this year. Yeah. Lots, hopefully. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Lots. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on and I will be looking for your pictures in the pioneering friends community. (laughs) All right. Okay. Thank you. Well, I hope you found that episode helpful. And if you would like to hop on the wait list for when we do open the doors to the pioneering today Academy again, which will not be until mid March, go over to melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA, melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA, and you can sign up to get on the wait list to get first notification when we open the doors. And now our verse of the week. I have to say there was a lot of verses that came to mind when I was getting ready for this portion. But the one that I decided to share for this week is Matthew 6, 
for 15, Matthew 6, 15. And this is the Amplified Translation. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them, letting them go, and giving up resentment, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And I thought that was a really good one. I mean, it's all of the Bible verses are good, right? But I think this is one where I know for myself that it's really easy for me to forgive the people I really love. You know, my kids when they mess up, my husband, my parents, my siblings, you know, people that are are really close to you. Yes, it, you know, it hurts sometimes, you know, you can hurt one another, but I find if they just come to me and say, you know, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I have no problem forgiving them. And oftentimes I forgive them before they even come to me and say that I'm sorry. But then there's other times where people hurt us, and especially when we don't feel it's deserved, like when it's those situations that just completely blindside you, like you are so shocked that it happened and you didn't see it coming and you feel betrayed and you feel hurt and like all of these things. I have to say that those are the situations where I have a really hard time sometimes truly forgiving people in that instance. And a lot of the times in those instances that come to mind, like they've never did ask for forgiveness. You know, they never really cared that that they hurt me or that there was a situation that they had a part in. And so because of that, it was it can be easy for me to hold on to that. Like, well, you know, and you probably have situations that, where you have experienced that too, where you feel very wronged. And those are the times, especially if they haven't even asked for forgiveness, where I struggle with that sometimes. And not even on purpose. Like, I think that I have forgiven them. (laughs) And then a thought will come up or a moment will come up and I'll realize, no, I really haven't forgiven them because I'm still holding on to parts of what happened. But on the same hand, I can't go to God because I sin against him way more than I would like to admit. I mean, I think all of us would love it if we never sinned again. And I think that that's usually once we come to Christ and are a Christian, you know, nobody really wants to do wrong, not on purpose. Yet all of us do still sin. Nobody has become saved and never sinned again, right? And so I can't go to God and ask him and expect him, according to his word right here, to forgive me if I'm not willing to forgive others. And so I was just really pondering with this verse this week because I realized that there were some situations and some areas in my life where I haven't really forgiven the person. I say I have, and at times I think that I have, but when I really examine my heart and emotions that I still have tied, I haven't really forgiven them. And so that's where I have just been meditating on this verse and whenever it comes to mind purposefully handing it back to God and asking him to bless them uh to bring you know to bring true forgiveness um and for his will you know in that situation 
So I thought, you know what? I might not be the only person that's struggling with that. And so I hope that that is helpful to you. It's funny how many of you, like where I'm, I'm not sure what to share. And so I just share kind of with what I'm dealing with on the verse of the week aspect. And it's amazing the stories I get back from you guys. You, you'll you send me emails, you'll send me messages, and you'll tell me things that are going on in your life and how the verse of the week aspect, like God used that to talk to you. And I don't, I don't share that with you to be like, oh, like, like as anything to myself, because it's nothing that I am doing. I share that to give glory back to God, because it's really amazing how, how he knows each detail of all of our lives. And, and truthfully, my brain, I can't really comprehend that. Not truly how God is omnipresent and he knows every single detail of every single human who is alive on earth right now. Like, would I really sit and think about that on a deep level? Like, I really am not, I my brain can't really comprehend that. Yet, I can see these little pockets of how he works. His his hands are so close on our lives, even when we don't see it. And I think that's going to be one of the most amazing things when we get to heaven is when when we're able to look at our lives and look at the way he has been there in circumstances and in ways that we never see and that I don't think we can see until we're on the other side. So the glimpses that we do get when we can see that, just like that, where he is is using a story and using it in, in different people's lives just through the, the modems of a podcast, you know, it's going to be really incredible when we get to see how much he is doing and our eyes are truly open to that in that fashion. Anyway, so I just share that to hopefully further encourage you and uh, to give the glory back to God. And as a reminder, if you are on the lookout for new linens, make sure that you check out our sponsor, American Blossom Linens, and use coupon code Pioneering Today 2022. And with that, I will be back here with you next week. Blessings and mason jars for now. <laughs>